Well, I want to say welcome to you as well. It's great to see, great to see you. And it seems like each week we're getting to see some friends that um, have been returning back to church, and it really is a blessing to see more and more of you as these weeks go by. And we want to say thank you also uh, for those of you who are viewing online, uh, hoping you're having a wonderful Sunday morning. I want to take some time to pray together and. Jesus gave us an outline for prayer in the sixth chapter of Matthew. And so what I'd like us to do is you can just pray right where you're at. We're going to use Jesus' outline, and we're just going to take some time to pray right now in the middle of our service. We know this to be the Lord's Prayer or the disciples' prayer. And so I'm just going to read a few phrases here, and I'm just going to guide you, and you, you take Uh, these phrases, and you take some time right where you're at, and let's just talk with God today, okay? You remember Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus said in verse 9, pray then like this, our Father is in heaven, hallowed be your name. So what I'd like you to do right now, loved ones, is just take some time right there in your seat, right there in your living room, and, and just Pray, God, may your name, may your reputation be worshipped. May, may you be glorified in my life right now. You just take a few moments to do that. The next part of Jesus' prayer here is your kingdom come. It's a way of saying, God, I want your rule, your leadership in my life to expand. So, May, may it be true in my life, may it be true in my family, in my community, around the world. God, I want your rule to spread. So why don't you personalize that prayer this morning as well? And then Jesus instructed us to pray for his will to be done. So why don't you just agree with God right now, whatever his will is for you, this moment, this day, that you're going to agree with that. If he reveals it to you, the answer is already yes. Jesus then said, give us this day our daily bread. Um, Take some time now and thank God for his daily provision and just ask that he'd continue to meet your needs. Jesus said, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. So why don't you take time now to confess sin, things you've done, things you've left undone, and then release the people that you might have holding unforgiveness towards. And then pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. May he lead you in a holy life away from your vulnerabilities and of sin and temptation today. Pray that. Father, as a church, we thank you for this outline of prayer that you've provided for us, that we don't need to wonder how is it we ought to pray. You've provided it for us. And may we live to glorify you, to a life of worship, surrendered to you. So take our bodies Take our ears, our eyes, our hands, our feet, our minds, all of this, and we offer it to you as a living sacrifice. This is our reasonable act of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for joining me in prayer. Uh, Now, take your Bible with me, please. 
and let's begin a, a journey together through one of the great books of the Bible, and that's John chapter 1, that's the Gospel of John. Several years ago, I was given a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Melody and I were just newly married. I was finishing up seminary, and our school made an opportunity available to us to go to India on a mission trip. And it was fantastic. We were there for several weeks, and the organizers of this trip had, had carved out the last part of it to be able to take a tour to the Taj Mahal. And I'll never forget that day as we, we went in and the, the enormous size of this palace and the beauty of it. I think I spent virtually the whole day shaking my head, just captivated by how beautiful it was. Well, probably all of us in this room have experienced something like that where we have gone to a building and we've been caught up by the architecture of the capital, of a, a cathedral, uh, perhaps a historic building or, or even a house where we're like, this is amazing. And it may not be a building, but a scene in nature where there's a tranquil waterfall, the sound of a loon on a northern lake, or looking out in a meadow and seeing some deer grazing. All of this can stir within us an awe. I want to tell you at the very beginning of this series through the Gospel of John, this is what I am aiming for, for you and I, that we would be caught up in awe, not of a building, not of a scene in nature, but of Jesus Christ as revealed here in Scriptures. Now, as we look here at the Gospel of John, we're reminded that there are 66 different books in the Bible, and all of them do point towards Jesus. But there are four, the first four books of the New Testament that are set aside that speak specifically of his life and ministry. These are called the Gospels. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when Matthew and Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote their Gospels, they decided to include some genealogies that would ground their writings into the Old Testament story. When Mark wrote his gospel, he started it at 75 miles an hour, and he never really pumped the brakes until the very end of it. And then you have the Gospel of John. And if John were to have a conversation with Luke and with Matthew, he might have said something like, hey, I appreciated that you started early. You grounded your writings in the Old Testament. But I don't think you went back far enough. So John is actually going to go back to before the beginning. If you like Christmas today, this is the Christmas story according to John. You're, you're going to get your Christmas fix as we look at the first 18 verses of the first chapter of John. So let's, let's read these verses together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was sent a, a man from God whose name was John. 
He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And Father, we thank you for your word and thank you for revealing it to us today. We pray for the Holy Spirit to make it clear to us who this Jesus is, that we would be in awe of him. In Jesus' name, amen. On Sunday evening, We had an opportunity to gather together, and so many of you showed up. That was so encouraging to me as we just kind of reviewed a vision statement. It's a statement that's only updated from what it was before, and it's this, to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. And with that in mind, we begin this series through the Gospel of John that I think is all about that. It's all about holding up who Jesus is so that we might know him and worship him and glorify him, but also to be able to share him with others. I'm grateful for what Zach read at the very beginning of the service when he read in John 20, verse 31, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. The Gospel of John is one large gospel tract. That is written for us to know who Jesus is, that we might know him and we might believe on him and share him with others. Now, as we look at the first 18 verses, I think there's at least four different things that we see about Jesus here. So let's take a look at them in order. The first thing I think we see is that Jesus is eternal. Uh, Look again at verse 1. In the beginning. Have you ever read that before? Of course you have. It's the first words of the Bible. In Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. These words are very intentional by John. It speaks to a time when there was no time, before the angels and the world were created. There was never a time in which Jesus did not exist. It says here, in the beginning was the word. The Greek word here is the word logos. In in our day, we we need some help translating what that was, but it was such a popular concept in the first century, they would have needed no help at all. The word logos carries this meaning that there is 
a, a divine order that takes place in creation. According to Chuck Swindoll in his commentary, he said, Logos referred to an uncreated divine mind that gives meaning and order to the universe. As the thinkers during the first century would, would get together and, and offer philosophical, philosophical thoughts about this world that they were living in, there was not one of them that would say, I know how we got here by random chance that something came from nothing. It was all assumed that there is someone, something that has designed all of this creation. From the word logos, we get an English word. Does anyone know what it is? Logic. Yes. And it's as if God is saying to man, yes, there is a logical explanation for creation. And it is a person. It's my son, Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. This speaks of an intimacy, a relationship, where Jesus was present with the Father before creation. They are familiar with one another. They were close, and they had shared intimacy and purpose. It says that also in verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. And it also says there at the last part of verse 1, and the word was God. That is, this Jesus is of the same essence. And all that is true of God the Father is true of God the Son. The psalmist wrote this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The first thing we see in verse 1 here is that Jesus is eternal. There's never been a time where Jesus did not exist. And let that sink in, loved ones. The second thing we see here in this passage is that Jesus is the creator. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. It says that in verse 3. It concludes verse 3, and it says, Without him was not anything made that was made. It's as if John is just going out of his way to make sure that the reader or us here this morning realize that Jesus is the creator. Now, when a chef makes their signature entree, when an artist finishes the last stroke of their brush, when a musician plays the last note to their hit song, we we stand back and we say, that tasted amazing, or that looks amazing, or that sounds amazing. I am so impressed with you. You're the creator of this. And the same is true here. As we look at creation, we are to be in awe of the creator. Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17 says this, For by him... All things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In Kent Hughes' commentary, he states that there are about 100 billion stars in the average galaxy, and there are at least 100 million galaxies. 
It was Albert Einstein that believed we have scanned with our best telescopes only about one billionth of the theoretical space. That means there are probably around 10 octillion stars. That's the number 10 with 27 zeros behind it. I think that's also our national debt, but but I'm not sure. And here's the point. Jesus created them all. But not only has he created all these stars, but as it says here in Colossians 1, he, he holds the smallest atoms together as well. There's a great little story of a man named Charles Steinmetz who was a friend of Henry Ford. He was brilliant when it came to making motors that went into vehicles. He could build a motor in his mind, and if it broke down, he could fix it in his mind. And when he designed it and actually built it, it ran with precision. One day, the Ford Motor Company had a problem. The assembly line broke down. And Mr. Ford got all of his best engineers to try to fix the problem, but no one could. So he contacted his good friend, Charles Steinmetz, and he walked in, thought for a moment, tinkered with something over here, threw the lever, and the assembly line began again. A few days later, a bill was presented to Mr. Ford for $10,000. And Mr. Ford said to Mr. Steinmetz, "Uh, don't you think that your bill's a little high for just a few minutes of labor? Charles Steinman's replies was this, tinkering cost $10, knowing where to tinker was $9,900. And our great Jesus not only put the stars in the galaxies, but he knows where to tinker in our lives as well. That our greatest problem is our sin and our sinful heart. Only Jesus knows how to tinker with a man or a woman's life. So the first thing we've saw is that Jesus is eternal. The second thing we've seen is that Jesus is the creator. Now the third is that Jesus is the light. Look with me at verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Why do we have a light? The light reveals things, does it not? Just a couple of days ago, I was going into a closet in our home. It's in the basement. And as I opened the door, I turned the light on, and I was astonished at the number of cobwebs up in the rafters. It was, it was quite disturbing to me. But then I turned the light off, and I didn't have any problem with it at all. <laughs> the light reveals Jesus said in John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It was said of God the Father in 1 John 1, 5, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. 
Now, this is an amazing thought that Jesus is light and he comes into the world and no one recognizes him. A.W. Pink offered a really helpful little quote here. Let me just read this little paragraph to you. He said, when the sun is shining in all its beauty, who are the ones unconscious of the fact? Who need to be told that it is shining? It's the blind. How tragic then that when we read that God sent John to bear witness of the light, how pathetic that there should be any need of this, how solemn that statement that men have to be told the light is in their midst. What a revelation of man's fallen condition. Man is so blind, we are so sinful, that we cannot even tell that the light has appeared before us. And it says here in verse 6 that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, we ought not to mistake this John as the author of the Gospel of John. Who is this, church family? John the Baptist, right. And John the Baptist is on a mission here. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus called him the greatest prophet of all. And you know what his responsibility is? It's a very thankless task. He is to go out and tell people that they are sinners. He is to confront the self-righteous. He is to go to the Jews that think they are right with God just because they were born into a Jewish family and say, you guys are in deep, deep trouble. He is the bearer of the bad news. He is a plow that goes across the field and, and rips up the hardened hearts of the people of the first century. He is the doctor that presents the bad news to the people that says, listen, you better sit down because I've got some news for you, and if you don't straighten up, you're going to die very soon. He is the accountant that says, I have been looking at your financials, and you are broke. Worse, you are bankrupt. And this is the life that John the Baptist was called to, to testify that the light is there that the light is there to reveal the cobwebs of sin in our hearts and making preparation for the Savior that would come and save the people from their sins. So we see so far that Jesus is eternal. We see that Jesus is the creator. We see that Jesus is the light. But this passage also leaves us with this wonderful thought that Jesus is the Savior. In March of 1964, a very tragic and honestly a famous death took place in New York City. It was about 2.30 in the morning and a 28-year-old woman named Kitty Janavis was returning home from her job as a bartender at a local bar. And while she was walking to her apartment, she was attacked and stabbed by a man. Miss Kitty cried out, And there were people within the apartments above her that heard her cries. Some looked out their windows, but were unwilling to do anything about Miss Kitty's problem. They saw a mess, and they did not want to get involved. After all, it could cost them their life. The poor woman died. When Jesus who is eternal, who is the creator, who is the light, 
shines his light down into a world, he sees a fallen world that is an absolute mess. It is chaos. But instead of staying up in his comfortable penthouse, he says, I'm coming down into that mess, even if it costs me my own life. And and this is precisely what he did. The word says here in verse 14, and the word became flesh. These four words is John's Christmas account. The word became flesh. It was Charles Wesley and George Whitfield that wrote that wonderful Christmas tune, the Hark the Herald Angels Sing, that we have veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hailed the incarnate deity. This eternal God, this creator, this holy light took on flesh and became man in order to enter into our mess. So Jesus would come to know weariness and thirst and sadness and bleeding and even death. In a prophecy of Jesus in Isaiah 9 verse 6 it says, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting, Prince of Peace. I want you to think of those two words, Wonderful Counselor. Pastor Tim Posey states that the best counselors are the ones that have experienced what their clients have experienced, yet have came out on the other side. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Is there someone here this morning that is experiencing some isolation, some loneliness, some suffering? Jesus has been there. He he can identify with that. Is there someone here this morning that is experiencing some intense uh, temptation, maybe a temptation to give in or give up? Jesus can identify with you. He is the best counselor that has ever lived. It says here in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This word dwelt and among us is, is just full of meaning. You probably know what it means. It means that he tabernacled with us. Now let's go a little bit back to the Old Testament to get an understanding of what this means. In the Old Testament, God's presence was there in a tabernacle. And if one wanted to have their sins forgiven, they would have a priest that would offer an animal sacrifice on their behalf. And it was there where they could have this assurance that, yes, indeed, I'm now forgiven of my sins. And God's presence would reside in a place called the Holy of Holies. So if you wanted to be with God, you would have to go to the tabernacle. But all of that is broke by these words in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The tabernacle was on tour in the person of Jesus. Because when you saw Jesus, you saw God. And with that phrase, and dwelt among us, Jesus destroyed religion as we know it. 
Because it was not necessary to have a priest. It was not necessary to have a a, a temple. You had Jesus and Jesus alone that would be your mediator. There's a clever little um, story that is written by a pastor from London. His name is Dick Lucas. And he offers an imaginary conversation between a Christian and an atheist. It goes like this. Ah, the neighbor says, I hear you are religious. Great. Religion is a good thing. Where is your temple or holy place? Uh, Well, we don't have a temple, replies the Christian. Jesus is our temple. No temple? But where do your priests work and do their rituals? Uh, Well, we don't have priests to mediate the presence of God, replies the Christian. Jesus is our priest. No priest? But where do you offer your sacrifices to acquire the favor of your God? Uh, Well, we don't need a sacrifice, replies the Christian. Jesus is our sacrifice. Well, what kind of religion is this, sputters the pagan neighbor. And the answer is, it's no kind of religion at all. We have Jesus. We don't need works. We don't need religion. And so you see that he, the word became flesh, and you see that he dwelt among us. But then you also see here what it says of him in verse 14, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. If we skip down a little bit further in verse 17, it says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Christ Jesus. He is the spring of grace and truth. Just this past week, one morning, as our family was sitting down and, and reading uh, this book, Pilgrim's Progress, uh, and I don't want to give you a portrait like we're this perfect family and we do this every single morning with, with our portage and, you know, whatever, coffee or whatever. It's, it's often a little chaotic, but we try to work through something like this. And um, we don't get it to every morning, but we were reading through one of my favorite books, The Pilgrim's Progress. That's an allegory of the Christian life, where you have a man named Christian who finds himself at the beginning of this in the city of destruction. His eyes are open. I got to get out of here. I got to be spared from the, the wrath of God that awaits for me. So he gets on this path, and as he's walking on this path, he realizes he has this heavy burden on him. It's the reflection of his sin. Eventually he comes up to a cross, and the, the burden rolls down the hill and into an open grave. And, and it's just a wonderful adventure. And, and as you read this, you're like, man, this is exactly like the Christian life. And as we were reading this, mo- this week, we were coming across the time in the middle of the book where a Christian comes across a friend whose name is Faithful. And, and as they're catching up with one another, a Christian says something like, I know I've had an adventure. Have you had an adventure too? And if so, can you tell me some of the story? And so Faithful begins to tell him some of his story. And I'm just kind of catching up in the middle of what Faithful is sharing. But let me just read this. This is Faithful. And he says, Now when I had climbed up About halfway up, I looked behind and saw someone coming after me, swift as the wind. Soon he overtook me, just about the place where the arbor stands. So as soon as the man overtook me, without saying a word, he struck me and knocked me down unconscious. When I came to, I asked him why he had thus assaulted me. 
He said that it was because of my secret inclination to follow Adam and the first. And with that, he struck me with another deadly blow on the chest and beat me down backward. And I lay at his feet as if I were dead. So when I came to, I cried to him for mercy. But he said, I do not know how to show mercy. And with that, he knocked me down again. He would have beat me to death, except one came by and told him to stop. Well, who was that who told him to stop? Faithful went on. I did not recognize him at first, but as he went by, I saw the wounds in his hands and in his feet. Then I concluded that he is our Lord. So I continued up the hill. Christian then explained, the man who overtook you was Moses. He spares no one, and he does not know how to show mercy to anyone who transgresses his law. We just read here in John chapter 1 that through Moses we get the what? The law. And we need the law, loved ones. What the law does is it beats us up. It reveals sin in our life. Mom and dad, we need to teach our boys and girls the law. Bible teachers, you need to teach the people within your Bible study the law. But do you see the effect that the law has in this little story? It just beats us up. But you see that through Jesus... There is grace and truth. Yes, we have to offer the law, but it is through the gospel, through what Jesus has done for us, that he is able to extend his hand with the, with the wounds there in them up to us and lift us up into a relationship with him that we might know him. Martin Luther said of this being full of grace, he said, even if the world were drawn from this fountain enough grace and truth to transform all people into angels, it would not lose as much as a drop. This fountain constantly overflows with sheer grace. The last thing I want us to see here about Jesus being our Savior is contained in verse 18. It says there, no one has ever seen God the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Do you remember a place in the Old Testament where someone says, I want to see you? More specifically, I want to see your glory. Do you remember? In Acts chapter 33, Moses is having this conversation with God, and Moses said, please, show me your glory. In verse 19, he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to you. I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But listen to what he says in verse 20. But he said, you cannot see my face for a man shall not see me and live. Until now. Because when you see Jesus... You see God. It was in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that said that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. When you see Jesus, you see God. Loved ones, as we look at him being eternal, we see him as being creator, as we see him 
see him being the light. Now we see him as the Savior. We have two different ways to go with that. Two ways to proceed. One is to reject. And we see that here in verses 9 through 11. Where the light has come, it's made it very clear. There are cobwebs here in my heart, in my soul, that need to be addressed. We acknowledge that God has placed order to his creation, but we can shake our fist at God and say, no, I do not want you. I do not want you in my life. In John 3, verse 36, is for you. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So one way to proceed is just to reject. I understand what you're saying. I understand who Jesus is, but I don't want him to be Lord of my life. I don't want to be forgiven of my sins. There is a second alternative to that, and it's the word receive. Look with me again at verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. As you look to Jesus, as revealed here in John chapter 1, there's only two, only two pathways. One is to reject him. The other is to receive him, to acknowledge the sin in your heart and ask for forgiveness, to repent of that and to say, you are God and I will follow you all of my days. And there are also people in this room, many of them, that you say, at one time I did receive him. I wonder if you'd be willing to pray along with me. God, as we work through this Gospel of John, would you let me see you as you really are? Would you remove the blinders from the eyes of my heart? I want to live in awe of you. As Miss Jean comes and we prepare just to think through what the Lord might be saying to us through this passage, let's just pause and would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for a wonderful Savior. I thank you for this passage that holds up Jesus as eternal, as the creator, as the great light, but he doesn't just reveal our sin. He saves us from that. So I pray that you would grant faith to believe in him, that we might be born of God. I pray that as a family, that we would look with excitement, anticipation, not just because that's the next book that we're going to study, but with this in mind, we want to know Jesus. We want to be in awe of him. And we want to make Jesus known. In his name we pray. Amen. Scott and the music team uh, lead us in this time of invitation. Why don't you stand? And if you have a prayer that I could pray for you, if there's a decision that you want to make, why don't you come during this time of invitation?